Good morning, church. I've come today to ask you a question. A question I believe God has put on my heart. And with some of the songs and testimony this morning, I believe it to be true. A question he often asks me. A question I admit I struggle with from time to time. The question I've come to ask you today is who are you? You may ask, what do you mean? What is my name? What is my gender? What is my occupation? What is my sexuality, my race? What is my economic status? What is my political status? Where do I live? Or what is my religion? Those, church, are what the world call you. What I'm asking is a much more deeper, intimate, personal question. Now, I have a story to tell you. We're going to go into the gospel. And in the story, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 27. And as I go through this, I would like you to contemplate the characters in this story. Think about them. Think of their experiences and see who you might connect with or who you see that remind you of something. And I want you to be honest with yourself so you don't have to tell anybody. But as you go through this process... I want you to give yourself grace, as the Lord has as well. Because some of these characters are not good people. We jump into the gospel at Matthew 27. Right after the Last Supper, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, who was his disciple. He is arrested that night, and he is taken into secret council. And we jump into the gospel the next following morning here. Jesus is bound and he's delivered to Pilate the governor. Now Pilate was a Roman authority. And the reason why Jesus was brought to Pilate is because they wanted to crucify him. We know the story, most of us. I'll go through it a little bit just to make sure you understand the the main things that happened before the story. Uh, Jesus prophesied and was prophesied hundreds of years before him that he was going to do what he is about to do. And that is to be crucified for the sins of mankind without sinning, sacrificing his body for the sins of all of us. So we, are, uh, we see that Jesus delivered to Pilate, the governor of Judea. And then Matthew 27, 3, as we continue. So Jesus is brought to Pilate. And when Jesus was betrayed by Judas, right when he was brought to Pilate in, in, uh, in Matthew, it goes right to back to Judas real quick. And it goes to him hanging himself. So he brought the 30 pieces of silver back into the high priest because he felt guilt. He realized he had condemned a man that was not guilty. And we see in Matthew that he actually hangs himself. And what's important of this is because we see Judas is full of regret and remorse, but he's not full of repentance. And I like that Matthew puts this in after Pilate Receive Jesus because what we recognize or don't what we might not recognize is that Judas was just close to Jesus, so close that they broke bread. If Judas after after he betrayed Jesus, if Judas would have came back to Jesus with repentance, can you imagine the power that God could have used through Judas's life? I think of certain people like Peter who denied Jesus three times, or Paul who crucified 
followers of Christ while hunting the trail of Jesus. And Paul, who is very important to Gentiles these days, who we relate to as an awesome servant of God. So I just point that out, that he was full of regret and remorse. He knew he was wrong, but he did not repent. There's a big difference there. So as we continue, Pilate continues to question Jesus, because everybody is yelling that he is guilty, he is blasphemy, they want him crucified because they, he questions the authority of the high priest and the church on earth, but not the church of God. And Pilate continues to ask, to ask Jesus about these accusations, and Jesus remind, remains silent. He first asks, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say this is so. And as they continue to accuse him, he says nothing. And what's interesting is the crowd that is gathering right now is not a normal crowd. It's a crowd that's gathering through excitement and riot styles. Uh, Pilate has had issues with riots before, and we are a day before Passover, if not two days, which is, ironically, a very holy holiday. Um, and that represents when the Israelites were rescued from Egypt, one of the miracles that God performed is he sent the angel of death as Passover, and the Israelites who had painted the, the doorpost with a sacrificial lamb, the angel of death passed over the house and saving and not taking the firstborn. So this holiday is a very important holiday in Jewish tradition. There was a lot of people coming to Judea, to Judea and, and to Jerusalem, a lot of people gathering for celebrations, full of excitement, full of adrenaline, and the crowd is growing as we speak to Jesus through Pilate's eyes. And I like how this moment f- fulfills a unique prophecy because 700 years before this, Isaiah, who the high priests also study and count as truth from the word of God, prophesied multiple prophecies of Jesus, including a specific one about Jesus not speaking. So we'll look at Isaiah 53, 7. And say, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And Pilate was amazed by this. Pilate doesn't see a reason to crucify Jesus. So he sends him to Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, uh, the himself the king, we are about 15 years under the rule of Tiberius Caesar. Um, I think that might be one reason he didn't call himself king, to challenge that authority of Rome and to challenge the authority of, of Caesar. And this is the same Herald who had beheaded John the Baptist. So Herald is hearing these things about Jesus, and he's curious. He wants to see them. I think Herald has a little bit of a fear of him, that I just killed a prophet of God. And people are saying that this Jesus might be, I, or might be John the Baptist. Um, it might be an old prophet, Isaiah. So Harold is excited to speak to him. He questions him. He mocks him. And I think he questions him as a, to make him feel little in front of all of his authority and all of his friends at his party so he can not feel guilty anymore. Jesus gives Harold the same, what I like to call the holy cold shoulder by not giving him the answers that he seeks. 
but Herod also finds him not guilty and sends him back to Pilate. And at major feasts, governors would release a prisoner in good faith. It's more of a political move. They are trying to control the community. It was Roman law that they were the ones to um, convict someone to death. That way they had that authority over uh, the Jewish community too. So we see in this, in Matthew 27, 16, the story of Barabbas. Now, I know what you might be thinking in the story of Barabbas and Jesus, like, well, I'm not Jesus, I'm Barabbas. And I would say, yes, that is very true. I mean, I typically connect with Barabbas much more than Jesus in this story. But there's many more characters in this, so just stay with me here. So we read Matthew 27, 16, and they pull out Barabbas. And Barabbas, who he was, he was known as a notorious prisoner. It says, and they, ha- and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. He called him a murderer in scripture and also uh, started um, insur- insurrection. Or ins- yeah, insurrection, so that he would do violent uprisings, perhaps where the murder happened to take place, against Rome and the Jewish community as well. So he brings up Barabbas, and Pilate is standing this man that is guilty next to Jesus, who he believes not guilty, Think, knowing that they, the crowd wants Jesus dead out of envy because he challenges their authority. So he's hoping that they will ask for Jesus, not this condemned murderer that the crowd knows deserves the penalty of death. He attempts to continue to get out of crucifying Jesus. Now, right before this, we'll read in Matthew 27, 19, Pilate's wife has a dream. She says, besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, having nothing to do with the righteous man, for I have suffered much because of today in a dream. I think this is a very important passage because we notice how Pilate's wife does not know Jesus, yet she's connected to the spiritual world. She's having a dream and a vision. I think this is important in today's society. I think we see this a lot. I think we see a lot of spirituality in today's society that is missing Jesus. We see a lot of astrology and stones of that nature. And I want you to know, because of Scripture, where this person who does not know Jesus experiences a vision and a dream, I believe this world exists today. I believe this mad, the magic and the dark side of these world of witchcraft and stones and astrology do exist. The catch is that they use wisdom of the earth. They don't use wisdom of God. So no matter how much power or how much joy or how much things you get out of this material, this, this stone, this crystal, on your deathbed, that stone and crystal is just as good as money and he's not going with you. So we will continue Matthew twenty-seven twenty. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Destroy. I had to look up the word, like destroy. Like That's like pretty aggressive. Some other words for destroy would be to decimate or to stamp out or to purge the Son of God. That's an aggressive action against our Lord, to try to stamp him out. But that, does not, that is not what happens. For the third time, 
Pilate asks the crowd, what do I do with Jesus? And they shout for him to be crucified. See, Pilate saw a riot beginning, and he had already been in trouble with riots before, perhaps with Caesar himself. Pilate did not want a riot. It would affect him very poorly. So he had to control the crowd here. He had to control the crowd at all costs. So we'll read 27, 24. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See it to it yourself. He says, fine, fine, I'll do it, but it's not my idea. It's not my idea. I ask you again, what if Pilate freed Jesus right there and then? Do you think Pilate would have been persecuted for Jesus' sake? Scripture says so. I think it would have been a lot. I think it would have been glorious. Pilate probably could have died. Pilate does not do that. Pilate confuses the reader on whether he is good or he's bad. He now sends Jesus to be punished with a Roman death for a Jewish accusation, something that is not normal during this time. The crowd chanted for Barabbas and for Jesus Jesus to be crucified. Chanted, screamed, cheered, Barabbas, give us Barabbas! We want Jesus dead, crucify him, crucify him. Barabbas, Barabbas! I'm just one person up here. I remember my first concert without my parents. The band played their final number, then suddenly, when they walked off stage, I heard one voice somewhere in the distance, encore! And then I heard another one, encore, encore! And I was screaming encore at this point. The whole crowd was screaming encore. Then I saw a dark shadow walk onto the stage and a few more, it could have been crew members, but they could. I felt this rush of a accomplished unity. I wonder who was in the crowd shouting for Barabbas. Did they know Jesus? As they yelled for his death. Did they know Barabbas? They know of his crimes as they yelled for his freedom. Or was the fate of Jesus Christ, God Almighty, screamed at by strangers who did not know him? We'll continue with 27, 26. Then he released for them Barabbas and ha- oh. me, me, me. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. So Pilate releases Barabbas. Barabbas, the murderer, the criminal, a bad person. Murder is not a fruit of the spirit, my friends. It's against God's commandment. So if you sit there and ask yourself, well, maybe Barabbas was a good person. Barabbas was a murderer. It's said here in the words of God, through the words of God. Yet this man, Barabbas, this murderer, this bad person, was closer to Jesus Christ than many people will ever even know or be up on that stage being pled for his innocence. His weakest moment, judgment left outside of his control. 
How ironic. At his weakest moment, Jesus rescues him. So Pilate sends Jesus to be scourged. The Bible says scourging is a form of punishment. Uh, I, I, I imagine a lot of people have seen imagery or pictures or movies like The Passion of the Christ. They can picture Jesus being whipped with his flesh being torn off and his face bloodied where you couldn't even recognize him. Most likely unrecognizable with pain. Continue with 27, 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered a whole battalion before him. Now there's two different studies that I found and it doesn't really matter. I'll give you the big number first. A battalion at this time was 600 people. Another study says a battalion at this time was 120 to 200 people. It doesn't say two, five, 10, 20, 30. Bare minimum, we're looking at 120 people gathered in headquarters around Jesus. It wasn't just one or two soldiers. It was a battalion of soldiers torturing the Christ, the Lord. They stripped him naked. They stripped him naked. Our Lord God was stripped naked by harsh, cruel men. They put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted a crown of thorns and probably not like a nice rose bush that would snap, something that would hold girth to it with knives as needles. And they forced it onto his head, blooding his scalp. They mocked him. You ever get embarrassed? People beat and belittled, mocked, shamed. They hit him. Then they strip him again. They strip our Lord God again and put his clothes back on him, and they make him carry his cross to be crucified. So Jesus gets to what they call the place of the skulls to be crucified, and they, they put a nail in his palm, and they put a nail in his other palm, and they fasten his feet together, and they nail through his feet, they put him on a post, and they arch him up, and there he's just there, just there, everyone a man now but it's supposed to be God bleeding, dying on the cross now scripture says there was two robbers with him and what's interesting is that the translations that it says robbers in the Bible is because all the translations pretty much agree about 24 of the top translations of the Bible agree that robber fits into this place few other translations to the Greek can end up being insurgents. It's just like an insurrectionist, just like Barabbas. So it's really unique that we see Jesus, one of three people being crucified, knowing that was meant for Barabbas. So as he's getting crucified, we have two robbers, one to his left and one to his right. And Matthew, and uh, it talks about them being angry. They uh, reviled him. Can you imagine being up there with who someone claims to be the son of God and you're getting ready to die? You're like, okay, well, like, save me, God. You're the son of God. Save me. Get down. Get us down. And he doesn't. So they got mad because how you would feel in that moment in your death. But Luke continues and carries on and says one of the robbers rebukes that and says that Jesus is not guilty and asks Jesus while hanging on the cross dying, 
please remember me in heaven. And because he confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Messiah, he was saved. Jesus says to him, truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Now in this part of the gospel that I've started the scripture or the sermon with to about now, we see four different people near death who also happen to be near Jesus at the same time. We see Judas, we see Barabbas, and we see our two robbers that are being crucified with him. Judas denies Jesus before his death. Barabbas walks away from Jesus to live another day. One robber hates Jesus with his mouth before his death. And one robber accepts Jesus with his mouth before his death. I think that's very interesting. They all have different outcomes. Most people think, I'll take Barabbas' spot. I'll live to fight another day. Maybe I could be saved the next day. I hope I'm that robber that asks that Jesus take me to paradise with him. I strive to be that, that moment of weakness, that moment. That's what I want. I want to forget everything I've done and just be in the moment and say, God, please remember me in heaven. So when Jesus dies, the earth goes dark. The earth shakes. The rocks split open. The veil, the curtain that's 60 feet tall and 30 feet wide in the temple separating the Holy of Holies from everybody splits down the middle perfectly. The separation between man and God is no more. We'll read Matthew 27, 54. When the centurion, centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this is the Son of God. Now, when I read this, I never read it like I did this week, and it hit me. Like, I feel like that a lot of times. I feel like I claim God's glory when I see the miracle. Such little faith. This person claimed he is the son of God, but he didn't do it in faith. He did it with his eyes. God said, blessed is the person who believes in faith. So some people in this part of the gospel will go over a few of the characters. We have Judas, who knew, so the gospel in Matthew is what we're really, really uh, relating to. We have Judas who knew Jesus, who broke bread with him, who handled the money, the finances, deceived him, and did not repent. We have the Jewish priests, the elders, and the leaders on a warpath of pride. We see Pilate discerning truth but not acting on it. We see Pilate's wife playing with the spiritual world, but not through the lens of Jesus. We 
We have people in the crowd. We have people leading the crowd. There's people following the crowd. There's also just people lost in the crowd. We have Barabbas, guilty and undeserving of it all. We have the robber on the left. This would be your left. Receiving Christ on the cross. We have the robber on the right. Who's separated from God forever. We have the Roman soldier. We have all the Roman soldiers. Maybe caught with the wrong people at the wrong time. Or just taking orders. With hardened hearts. We have the centurion acting on witness, but not faith. Anyone feel like Jesus now? How ironic. How ironic to the non-believer, but fulfilled prophecy to the saved. The blood of the perfect lamb covered a wooden post protecting all of God's chosen people, Jewish and Gentile alike, forever. Praise Jesus. I ask why? Why such a sacrifice? Why an ultimate sacrifice? Well, John 15, 13 tells us, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There is no greater act of love than Jesus' perfect death. There's no greater love. There's no greater love. There's no greater love than Jesus has for you right now. For you. For you. For you. Doing the finger pointing game. Jesus loves so much love for you and 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 all of you. An abundant amount of love that one lay down his life and call you friend. So I ask you again, church, who are you? You are loved. You are loved. If you leave knowing one thing, I pray it be these. That there is no good act that replaces the love of Jesus. There's no good act. And there is nothing you could ever do or fail that will stop Jesus from loving you. You could be Barabbas, undeserving. You could be Pilate, unaware. You could be Pilate's wife without actions. You could be the Roman soldiers, just wrong. You could be Harold, evil, manipulated, and manipulating. You could be Jesus' disciples. Doesn't matter. There's nothing you can do to earn your love or to stop it. It's very important to know that. It's very important to know that in your moments of failing and your darkest times. 
In Barabbas' darkest times, he was closest to Jesus. He just didn't know. So when you feel like God's not around, when you feel like the devil is attacking you, and you realize he is, and you realize this world is attacking you, and you realize you're attacking yourself, I want you to realize that Jesus is right next to you with broken bread. He's so close. He's so close. In fact, when you feel the evil and the harshness of life, I want you to confirm to yourself, my God is near. My God is with us. It's fact. I've seen it time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. May God be glorified in my weakness, in my darkest and small moments. I'm unworthy. My God, our God, is with us. Pray with me. that has been coming as we get COVID restrictions uh, lessened and we see more friends and family and get out and about and see the sunshine and the grass grow and the rain come down. Pray thanks for all of that. The ninth breath, breath of fresh air. I ask for that breath of fresh air to come from you. I ask that you meet people in their place and their forks and their crossroads. I ask you to meet them in their valley and their pits in the dark rooms. I ask that you be with people who don't ask you to be with them. I just, I pray for them, Lord. We pray for them, Lord. We pray over those who do not know you. And we surely pray over those who do know you. Let them know that repent, repentance brings them back to you. Let us know that good deeds are only good deeds if they're not in your name. And let your name be glorified in every good deed. Pray a special prayer over congregation, Lord, that you be with them today and this week, that you soften all of our hearts to accept people in the world, to love on them, Jesus or Barabbas. Pray for our pastoral family, for the Dieters, for Josh and Emily and Judah and Evie and JT. I know Josh is doing a fishing trip today. I pray you bless that, Lord. Full smiles. Full smiles that bring memory of Scripture to his heart, that just solidify and glorify it even more, Lord. I pray protection over their family. Ask all these things in your son Jesus' name.